we're good to go. Hit me with it. So this is a topic that I find very interesting. I know that's not really a a word, but (laughs) I find it like a compelling topic to discuss. And after we were talking last week about puberty and being in high school and college, Mm -hmm. I was just thinking about that time and I was remembering these programs that would be talked a lot about at school in high school specifically Mm. um, to really boost up your resume before you're applying to college. So, Oh yeah. This week I wanted to talk about voluntourism. Voluntourism. Have you heard of this word before? What does it mean to you? I don't think I've ever heard of this word, but it sounds like a portmanteau of volunteer and tourism. Yes. And I definitely participated. My high school was like, exhibit a of just like white savior complex Mm -hmm. doing mission e trips like we were a secular school but we did trips to a lot of different continents Mm -hmm. like there were trips i didn't participate in that went to like south and central america i did participate in trips that went to africa and south asia and southeast asia oh my gosh what did you do on those trips I mean, first of all, I just feel like I'm so obviously dripping in the privilege that I've grown up with right now because, like, who has the money to spend on so many international trips and then also be donating to the organizations that they're visiting? Mm-hmm. And also, why wouldn't you just donate that money to them in the first place? But that's a topic for later in this episode, probably. <laughs> but we would do not helpful things, like objectively not helpful things. There was this one trip to India that I went on senior year and we went and we were supposedly like building a pipeline from, we were in like the Himalayan foothills. Oh, <laughs> we were supposedly building like a water pipe from higher ground to bring water down to this valley. And a local person was showing us how to do it. And we're all just like untrained privileged high school kids who don't know what they're doing and we didn't really help like I feel like we were making it worse and then like the local just took over and did it himself and it was just like okay so why are we here like literally what is the point or like we like quote-unquote teach English for a day and then we leave and it's like will they retain that do they like us parachuting in here like what is this a whole language in a day (laughs) it's like so crazy and we would try to have discussions with the group at the end of the day and like some of us were kind of like catching on to the fact that like like we're not helpful and this feels really bad yeah. and this feels weird and bad and the teachers were like the, the facilitators of the trip were like you just don't understand what your presence means to these kids and the fact that you showed up for them yikes and it's like wait even the facilitators like aren't like letting us come to like hard realizations i don't know there's just like such a such a weird obsession with like this kind of service that these people who have been doing trips like that for so long refuse to believe mm-hmm, anything bad mm-hmm. about it. I'm so excited to talk about this even more so now in the same way that when I started the Greek life episode mm. and you were in sorority talking about this and you can give us a little bit of your firsthand experience. Oh, but I just feel like you're like exhuming the worst parts of my personality that we're not supposed <laughs> to ever show up on this podcast. <laughs> now I'm like, I'm a sorority girl who does mission trips. <laughs> My, oh my bad God. the rebranding it's not like that guys <laughs> yeah i'm trying to unlearn a lot i really am trying ellie is helping <sighs> i'll have to you know send you some topics that maybe you could bring up that'll make me look a little sketchy <laughs> yeah or maybe you could close this episode with just like 
your favorite parts about me. Maybe yeah, that would make me exactly. feel better. <laughs> True. We'll just bookend it. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Nothing like um, catering to the discomfort of the privileged white person to make I them mean, feel better about their position in society, you know? So we're here to do. <laughs> do. All right. Let's get started. So, yeah. So it's exactly that. It's the words volunteer and tourism smushed together. The Merriam Webster definition. Mm. <laughs> is the act or practice of doing volunteer work as needed in the community where one is vacationing. Mm. So that to me sounds like so nice on its head, right? Like why not make your vacation a little bit more mindful, actually like maybe supporting the community that you're going to visit. It'd be a little more reciprocal, not just like consuming. You're doing something, you're getting something like that all sounds really nice. However, it has received a lot of criticism, this Mm -hmm. idea of, how to travel and how to volunteer. So just wanted to, you know, get into the issues with you, Mm -hmm. see how we feel about it. I'm ready. So kind of this idea of like buying a volunteer experience, it's already a little weird, right? Like volunteering your time is usually free. Like you're not paying, they're not paying you. Mm -hmm. Your time is the currency, your efforts. Mm -hmm. But in this case, it's not even like, okay, I'm going to do this part-time job or something and I'm going to get paid. It's I'm going to pay other people to let me work for them. Yeah. Which we don't really see that in other spaces, like paying to wow. do the work. I've never thought about it like that. Like you're literally, and it's it, it almost, I feel like, reflects how this is so much more about the person, quote unquote, doing the work than it is yeah. about mm-hmm. the person receiving it. Because it's like, this is like a service I'm literally willing to buy for myself almost. Exactly. I don't know. I don't know. No, you're yeah. You're so right. I've never thought it about is, it that It way. is that, basically. And it also, it gives kind of a financial incentive to keep whatever problem you're allegedly trying to solve alive. Mm. Because if people can pay, if people are willing to pay to participate in this volunteer experience to clean up a body of water or a shore or pond or something, or help rebuild after a natural disaster or or teach English or whatever it is you want to do. If if somebody if you're willing to pay to do that, why would people in those communities let you actually fix it to some degree? You know, like why wouldn't you want to yeah. keep that going if all these rich teenagers are going to come and pay thousands of dollars to hang out doing like like you were saying like unskilled work, not really getting anything done, but like maybe that pipeline never gets built because every year they can have kids come and put one little piece on it, not do it right, and have somebody have to take it apart later. Right. And then the water's never going to get to where it needs to get to because they make more money on keeping that a problem. Yeah, right. If they're if these kind of people are parachuting in and like not jump starting but participating in the local economy and like staying at different residences and or hotels or paying host families to stay with them or mm-hmm. buying food from the store and like like imbuing cash into the economy, that's also an incentive in addition to the fact that they're paying to do this volunteer work. That's an additional incentive to keep the problem a problem. Exactly. Yeah. The problem is just like becoming profitable at that point. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> a problem is profit. <laughs> um, oh, classic. But even if it didn't incentivize anyone to keep the problem going, like let's let's imagine that everyone's just honorable and everyone just wants to help. It's still an incredibly ineffective and unsustainable way to handle very complex problems like global poverty. Like even organizations like the Red Cross, for example, this is all they do. This is their expertise. They have Mm -hmm. millions and millions of dollars in donations every year. All they focus on 
is like global poverty and like disaster relief and all this stuff. And one like New York Times article that I was reading was talking about all this criticism that the Red Cross got after one of the earthquakes in Haiti, because apparently they received half a billion dollars and almost all of it was like completely misspent. So like if these huge organizations that are the quote unquote experts are not and and, like work with governments and Mm -hmm. they don't even know where to spend the money properly, like how the hell is some random person on vacation going to like improve everything in a matter of days? Right, right. So one area that's very popular for people to volunteer or pay to volunteer is anything related to children. You know, Mm -hmm. orphanages are a big draw for volunteers. Mm -hmm. And I get it. Like people love to feel like they're helping kids, especially kids that don't have families. Right. By playing with them or bringing them gifts or teaching them languages or whatever. But (laughs) teaching them languages. It's so funny. Yeah. It's like, uh, (laughs) um, why do I need this language? (laughs) Um, (laughs) But according to basically like all child development experts, there's no such thing as like a good orphanage. Mm. Children in institutions experience higher levels of neglect, abuse than in any other setting. Wow. Decades and decades of research show that children do best in families. Even the most functional, beautiful institutions are not as good for early development than being in a family setting. Right. And wealthy countries have almost entirely ended the institutionalization of children we do have like as far as orphanages go we still have foster care systems but that's maybe a topic for another day on how problematic the foster care system is (laughs) i know i was gonna say i've been meaning to learn more about that from you because i feel like you you know a lot and it's there's it's a a not so secret underbelly to the system exactly um so we do still have foster care but We don't have orphanages in the same way. Like foster care is still the goal is to get children placed in families. It's not to keep them in an institution. Mm -hmm. However, basically all poorer countries still have institutions, even though the majority of those children have families. Um, I'm sorry. (laughs) Will you back up like 17 steps? (laughs) Okay. So some parents that have special needs kids or can't afford to raise their children will literally hand them over to an orphanage Mm -hmm. because they have, since they get so much money donated, they can provide education, healthcare, like they can seemingly give their kids a better life. So it's like, Oh, instead of I can't afford to keep my kid clothed and fed, I'm just going to give up my child, give them to this orphanage. That's getting all this money from wealthy countries that are like, I'm going to donate to the children. So, for example, Save the Children, the organization, in 2005, they found that 92% of children in Sri Lankan orphanages had living parents. And 2006 UNICEF study found that 98% of children in Liberian orphanages were not orphans. That's that's not like 51. That's every single child in the orphanage has living parents. Mm -hmm. And it's, oh my God, because you know that these like, wealthy people donating to the organizations are like wow i'm doing so much good for these kids when in fact you might be perpetuating a system that is developmentally not appropriate for these children and instead more resources could be directed to establishing like global policy for supporting parents and making food and like shelter and like special needs education more affordable or easier to access Mm -hmm. and then those kids could just stay with their goddamn parents yeah 
And when you're donating this money and you're like, I'm going to help these orphans. What? Why don't we ask where are all these orphans coming from? You know, <laughs> where, where are all these parents? Like, where are the parents going? Why are these kids here? And maybe instead of more orphanages, we can address why parents would like why this is their best option for their kids. You're so right. You're so right. Because the problem is either A, these parents of all of these children have died. So let's take a step back. And before we like support the orphanage industrial complex, let's look at why the the parents parents are dying. Where'd they go? (laughs) Yeah, right. Like let's let's solve that problem. And then we won't need orphanages. Or B, the problem is all these parents are alive and can't afford it. So either way, the problem is not going to be solved by continuing orphanages. Yeah, <laughs> and it's and it's frustrating too because in wealthy countries we don't think orphanages are good enough for our children mm-hmm. but we're gonna donate millions of dollars to keep orphanages alive and well abroad mm-hmm. and to establish new ones which happens a lot with religious groups opening orphanages and a lot of times it happens in response to a crisis like a natural disaster mm-hmm. for example the 2004 tsunami in indonesia There were hundreds of new institutions established and it was found that 97% of the kids in those institutions were brought in by their families so that they could get educated and very few had even been affected by the tsunami. So, oh my (laughs) Lord, it's like truly not, it kind of goes back to the Red Cross misspending all this money. It's like the values are there, right? We want to take care of kids. We want kids to have nice lives and we have all this money to do it. How do we solve this problem? And instead of, actually assessing the needs of the community that you want to help and maybe asking them what do you need mm-hmm. oh because if the issue is my kid needs an education ask them what kind of school do you need we have all this money can we help you build it and like establish it or whatever and then you run it based on your value systems and your history and you don't need to teach like yeah white white people shit i don't know um right because it sounds like the parents are like wow we really want education for our kids mm-hmm. and the wealthy people are like i got it orphanages exactly like, oh. what? It, it reminds me so i was listening to this um episode of call your girlfriend they i think did like kind of a look back on one um conversation they had with lorelei lee about sex work and she was talking lorelei about the criminalization of sex work and the different shapes that can take and what the impact actually is. Yeah. And she was just like, people talk about this as if it is a benefit to people in like the sex trades and like in sex work. And in reality, what that means is that when you like, oh, you don't technically criminalize selling it, but you criminalize buying it and you criminalize advertising it. Well, advertising is what allows me to promote my work without a middle person, without like, a person who has more control over me and who could theoretically be violent. It allows me to, when I advertise, screen potential clients Mm -hmm. and prevent myself from getting into violent and dangerous situations. So if you had talked to us sex workers and figured out what we needed, then we could have actually gotten somewhere. Because the reason some of us are in sex work in the first place is because we have disabilities and we can't afford healthcare. And then once you're in sex work and it's so stigmatized, it's hard to get out, like all this stuff. And it was just like, oh, like if you provide affordable housing and healthcare to these people, you'll do so much more than criminalizing sex work and it's just kind of what you're saying like when you create an orphanage and the problem was education you're (laughs) like you're fully missing the point and you haven't talked or listened to anybody how revolutionary Uh. audra to ask someone what they need before you try to help (laughs) like uh you don't go to the doc like you don't walk into the er and not say what you're there for you know it's not like the doctors know the doctors are doctors (laughs) 
Like what? It's so weird. Like why? Why do we feel progressive for being like, what if we listened to people? Like why is that a progressive thought? I just don't understand. Well, because we're in the process, not all of us, but some of us in the process of unlearning <laughs> that we're not at the center of the universe. We don't have all the answers. Not everybody wants to live exactly how we live. Like mm-hmm. that is very um jarring it seems. Mm-hmm. And also all this money that's being donated, it's very hard to keep track of if that money is actually benefiting the children in any way. Uh, After the 2010 earthquake in Haiti, one orphanage was established by a U.S. religious group. And when that orphanage, I guess, was investigated or something, they found out that they were keeping all the kids basically like unfed and unbathed, even though they collected an annual average of $10,000 per child. And most of it allegedly was going like straight to the director of the orphanage. Mm. So there's not a really good system of like checks and balances or or, fig- or auditing or I don't know, like keeping internal track of where this money is going. And so these mm-hmm. places are mistreating these kids. But us from the outside are like, we just are going to donate all this money to help these kids. And somebody else is getting rich off of it. As I know because it's so it's so easy to just donate and be like, you know what? The people running this organization are heroes wow and like just as you're saying like not worry about a system of checks and balances and it's easy for us as the donors and it makes questioning our own participation in the system something we don't really have to do because Mm -hmm. we're just like oh i donate and so it's fine and like Mm -hmm. i'm a good person and it's Mm -hmm. like there's so much more to the story than that and again questioning like where is the demand for all these children and orphanages (laughs) coming from and it's not because there are all these orphans everywhere. It's because they get all these donations and then volunteers come in from wealthy countries paid to volunteer. And so instead of creating access to public services, parents have to take their kids or have their kids taken from them in some cases as well mm. to orphanages to like meet their basic needs. And in terms of the early development of children, like even a short stint in an orphanage can cause serious damage. Mm -hmm. And it's only compounded by volunteers because it creates separation anxiety and unhealthy attachments when they're constantly interacting with like a new revolving door of exciting people that seem so great and nice and come play with them and then leave them all day, every day. And so these images of a busload of white teenagers leaving an orphanage and like all these kids like running after the bus and the kids on the bus thinking like wow I'm so great I really moved them and not thinking like no it's not even you it's just this idea that you're constantly being introduced to new people who come and are so excited to see you and hug you and love on you and then they leave you all the time Mm -hmm. like this isn't sweet that they're chasing after us it's like wait Am I participating in a system that's creating separation anxiety and like potential developmental issues for these kids? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oof. And yeah. So clearly if like kids are going to institutions because they're poor, not orphans, <laughs> the solution would lie in investing in anti-poverty work, not in more institutions, but governments don't want to or don't have the resources to do that. And so while the donations for orphanages are coming in the millions from wealthy countries, like why would you rework your own like taxation or or how you invest in communities like that's so Mm -hmm. complicated why would we do that i know there's an organization called lumos that found that thirty thousand kids in haiti live in orphanages thirty thousand thirty thousand kids and that they receive over a hundred million dollars in foreign donations a year 
for those orphanages, which is, quote, half the total amount of U.S. aid to Haiti, five times the budget of Haiti's social affairs ministry, and 130 times the country's tile protection budget to these 30,000 kids that are in institutions, which probably 95% of them are not even orphans. And, like, what? Where is that money going? Like, that's so much exactly. money. That's so much. It's, what? It's so much money, and that's every year. Yep. Oh my god. Ooh. That's, yeah. It's if that much is going to Haiti, it's like staggering to think about how much is going to the cumulative mm-hmm. sum of all orphans or orphanages everywhere. Yeah, and what's going on behind the scenes inside of those places? Mm-hmm. There was this short film that I saw a few years ago, or I guess last year it was nominated for best live action short for the 2020 Mm. oscars Mm. and it was called sadia and it's about an orphanage in guatemala that in 2017 dozens of teenage girls managed to escape it was called hogar seguro virgen de la asunción and it housed more than 700 kids holy shit and so dozens of girls managed to escape. So basically, it was just like the most horrifying place ever. They had no reliable way of knowing, like keeping count of how many kids were there. So kids easily could kind of disappear. There was a lot of abuse and trafficking happening. And the girls said that the staff would rape them and also would like take them out at night and at night and force them to engage in sex work outside of the orphanage. And so the girls that escaped were ultimately caught and they were brought back to the orphanage and locked in a big room. And one of the girls set fire to a mattress thinking that that would make the police open the door and they didn't open the door. And of the 56 girls, 41 died and the others were seriously wounded. Like literally just let these girls burn alive. Are you kidding me? Because they escaped. Are you this? Wait, so this is a short film that you're talking about, but it's depicting a true story. This is a short film about a real thing that happened in 2017. Oh, my motherfucking God. So you have literally no guarantee of what's happening behind the scenes of these places that you are keeping open through your volunteer week in Guatemala. You have no idea. You have no idea. And you spend a week there and you're mostly with the kids. Like you're not with the administrators. I've done it (laughs) too many times. Like it's not I I have no idea the financial behind the scenes of any of the trips I went on. Mm -hmm. Like. I have no idea if any of the kids liked it. They, We did not speak the same language. That was the whole yeah. point. So, like, yeah, we played games together, and that was super fun mm-hmm. for us. Not sure, obviously, how it impacted the kids. But, like, we, we have no way of knowing what their realities were. Well, we wouldn't know. We would have no idea. Yeah. It's a perfect breeding ground for trafficking because you have all these kids that that are under your supervision, not a parent supervision. They're not at all in different families or whatever. They're all together. You're getting money to keep them there and you could make more money off of them by abusing them. And you just name it something nice, like the home of the Virgin Mary or whatever. Yeah, the fuck. Exactly. Like, I'm like, yeah, I'm sure this is <laughs> hella Christian. Yeah. Sounds it. <laughs> have you heard, um, have you heard that phrase? There's no hate, like Christian love. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. It's brutal, but like true. Brutal. Oh my God. But clearly, if, I mean, this is not an isolated incident. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't heard about this. Like, if I hadn't seen this short film, like, I would never have known about this. So I wonder how many horrifying, wild stories are happening all over the world mm-hmm. to these kids in these places that you think are so hopeful or solving this problem of all these orphan children. Yeah. So I don't know. It's it, it's it's very good. I recommend, but now now you know kind of what happens. Oh, so yeah. maybe you don't really want to put yourself through it. Right. 
And so besides kids, another area that attracts a lot of people similar to the trip that you did are any sort of construction jobs, like Mm. building schools, building houses, working on some project like this pipeline that you mentioned. And what you kind of already alluded to, like the last thing a community needs after either a natural disaster or just if there's a general need for infrastructure is a bunch of unskilled imported labor done by a bunch of teenagers. You're going to have to redo it. I'm like promising you now, if you have like a 16 year old gangly person who's never held a hammer, you're going to have to redo all their work. I, I, they, you just will. Yep. Mm -hmm. And across the board, community development works best when it's carried out by locals, by the community. Mm -hmm. It's more sustainable long-term for people to solve their own problems, like to learn Mm -hmm. what their community needs. They're closer to the problem. They're closer to the solution rather than to outsource it. Mm -hmm. And there are all these testimonials like yours of American volunteers. There's one who went to Tanzania who said that we were so bad at the most basic construction work that each night the men had to take down the structurally unsound bricks we had laid and rebuild the structure so that when we woke up in the morning, we would be unaware of our failure. Oh my God. <laughs> Just like the amount of energy going into protecting the like white savior ego is insane. Yeah. But I mean, hearing the numbers you've shared, it's crazy to think about how much money there is behind this and mm-hmm. how much better it could be spent, especially because if we're paying for flights and accommodations as well to get to these places, like it's actually like triple the amount of money we're donating is going into us showing up and doing a bad job mm-hmm. when like what if that was just directed to like local construction crews developing a plan with the community and like those people not being necessarily out of work i mean i don't really know almost anything about the problem but i feel like there could be other kinds of creative problem solving here than like us showing up and having people relay our bricks every night <laughs> yeah and like taking away job opportunities from mm-hmm. local people who are ultimately still going to do your work anyway and and probably not get paid for it. So right. <laughs> like uh and it's also using up limited resources because it's never going to be the group of white kids that go without clean water or food. So if you go to the site of a natural disaster where things like clean water are very limited and you're going to be taken care of first and you're there like I'm here to help, I don't know how to do anything and I'm going to drink your clean water. You're not helping. Yeah. No. And and on one of the trips, you've just reminded me that I had gone on during middle school, the discrepancy between spending time with people who like, in some cases, were like verifiably below the poverty line and hadn't had a full meal in quite some time. Mm-hmm. And then we have the hangry middle school kids from Dedham, Massachusetts being like, I'm hungry. Like, when are we eating? And then yeah. like, we go to whatever restaurant and it's like not to our liking. And like, people are like, Ugh, like, this is so gross. Like we were being accommodated first. We were getting everything we could possibly need. And there was so much, the soundtrack of privilege is what it was. Like you could just exactly. hear the complaints. And you're also not usually staying long enough to make any real impact if you're going for a week or two weeks. So it's frustrating because Like we've said, it sounds really great. Like, I'm so glad that you care about other people. I'm so glad you want to help out. I'm so glad you see an issue and you're like, I want to get involved. But if you're causing more harm than good, if we only focus on the intention and not the impact, you know, if somebody gets defensive and is like, oh, I'm sorry. So do you prefer that I just don't give a shit about other people? And it's like, well, no. But if, you know, like if you play the whole thing out and it's like, you're going to pay for this $1,500 round trip Mm -hmm. and then you're going to pay for accommodations 
and you're going to take valuable resources from people that need them more. And then you're going to work on something for a short amount of time. So you're not really going to get anything done. You don't know how to actually do it. You're like creating double the work because now somebody has Mm -hmm. to undo your terrible work, redo it properly. Now the thing you're trying to build is going to take twice as long. It's just your intentions are misplaced in what you're doing to honor those intentions. Right. Yeah. It's so triggering that rhetoric of like, oh, what? So it's bad that I care about people. That's like the same as like... (sighs) Not to use such like a heteronormative metaphor, but it's like the guy cheating on you being like, oh, what? So you want me to be mean to your friends? And it's like, no, like I'm asking you not to fucking flirt with that. It just like, yeah. come on, come on, yeah. dude. Like you are so transparently not that attached to your actual intentions because if you want to help them, it's really important to take a step back and earnestly, curiously ask yourself, am I helping them? <laughs> no. <laughs> then, okay. Maybe I should, you know, pivot. Yeah, Exactly. It's completely focusing on transforming the visitor, not the community, you know? And and that's what I wanted to ask you about. And tell me if we need to like punt this to the end of the episode. But one thing that our facilitators, the same ones who were like, you don't understand what you mean to them. Mm -hmm. One thing they also said was part of the value of this trip is like giving you the appetite for service and like understanding the global world And I mean, again, besides that being like transparently about the visitor and that the people supposedly being helped, it also begs the question, is that the best way to like whet one's appetite for service? Like travel across the world and potentially develop these children developmentally? Like there there, there must be other ways. I'm I'm so (laughs) glad you asked, Audra. I'm so glad you brought that up because first of all, it's ridiculous to focus on the visitor over the community because it's not about you having some sort of like spiritual journey right at the expense of other people's like very real suffering and struggle right but statistically it also does not change the visitor no way yes no fucking way i was reading this really (laughs) great article from the guardian that was like very comprehensive about all of this stuff and they mentioned a study That was done on 162 Americans who built homes in Honduras after a hurricane in 98. And they found that years later, their work had no effect on their donating or volunteering. So it didn't make them any more likely to donate their time, their money to their own communities or at large. So it's not like this trip is going to change you. And now you're going to go back to your home and you forever are now going to be a super giving, generous person, like it does not have an impact. So you're causing harm and then you're going home and doing nothing. Like you're just like, that was nice. <laughs> and and it's like, it's not even that it's not lasting. It's like in, in many cases, it's not immediate. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm on the one hand shocked by what you just said, exemplified by my many gasps. <laughs> but on the other hand, you're reminding me. So the trip I referenced having gone on in middle school where we were all kind of like complaining about the food. That one ran like every other year. And I had a friend whose little sister went on it a few years after we did. And let's say her little sister's name was Sarah. She showed me, my friend showed me an email from Sarah to her mother. Okay. That was while she was still in South Africa and was about to get on the plane home and was like, I need you when you pick me up at the airport to have have this salad from Sweetgreen and to book my next SoulCycle class for like the day after at this time with this instructor. And the sister was showing it to me like, guess the trip really changed her, huh? And it was sort of just like, yeah, you can want to have a salad and like you can want to go to SoulCycle and everything. And like, that's fine. 
But the tone of the email, and I'm not remember the exact wording, but it was just kind of like, this trip has not been up to my standards and I need to, I need to get back into the swing of my whatever privileged cushy life like I need like I need this salad like you can't imagine what I've been eating like that was the tone of the message Mm. and she was like wow really changed her gave her some perspective didn't it (laughs) yeah almost like the only thing that it made her realize is like I'm so glad this is not how I have to live you know yeah a hundred percent like thank god that's not me it's just like oh is that what we're supposed to be learning it's also how long was her trip two weeks like I understand missing things from home. Right. <laughs> if you like go do a Fulbright for a year mm-hmm. and you're like, you know what? I'm just so pumped to have a Pop-Tart. Like, good yeah. for you. It's been Fuck two yeah. weeks. I don't think you're <laughs> in distress. Yeah, you're not, about you're, not soul in cycle. Distress. you're not in distress. And like, I think another thing that just rubs me the wrong way is to like talk to your mom like that i was just like oh my god to just be like you need to have this you need to book this like you need to do all this now please email me back by this time before i leave for my flight so i know that'll be set like oh my my mom would be like uh bitch my mom would be like find your own way home yeah like (laughs) you have a phone (laughs) yeah order it when you get here yeah (laughs) but in that same study that they were talking about the kids that built homes in Honduras they were also talking about the cost of all of this as we've been saying like all the all this money that you're spending not just what you're spending on yourself but also the homes that they built were so fucking expensive like the homes that were built by international volunteers cost thirty thousand dollars each including the airfare of the kids Mm -hmm. while the local Christian organizations could have built them for two thousand dollars so basically, if they had just donated the money outright, rather than going to build the homes that were probably structurally unsound anyway, they would have been able to build like 15 times the amount of homes. So just it's like... Just go on a normal <laughs> vacation, everyone. You're not going to change either way. Just go on yeah. a vacation, donate the balance. Just yeah. come on. So if it's like $2,000 could pay for a week-long trip for unskilled American volunteer labor, or... That same $2,000 could pay the salary of a teacher for, like, four months. Like, mm-hmm. what What are we prioritizing? Honest <laughs> to God. What is it about us in the U.S.? And I, I know you're mentioning this is, like, I don't know, happening not just in the U.S., but... West. The West. The West, know? yeah. What What is it about us that we just, like, really crave patting ourselves on the back all the fucking yeah. time? Like, it is just, like, a circle jerk of nonsense over here because... I was thinking about this with like extreme makeover home edition and I don't know fucking anything about it. So I need to actually look up the impact of it. But they used to build like mansions for people who were really in tough situations or whose child had been diagnosed with some chronic illness that was hard to manage or expensive to manage or just like different families. And they would like Mm -hmm. redo their homes while the family was on vacation for a week. And then like the homes are so expensive and they have like heated pools and like so many lights and so much water. And you're like, holy fuck, like that must be an expensive house to maintain. Like I wonder where they are like 10 years from now or even like Biggest Loser. Like, wow, like, yeah, Bob and Jillian are really changing these people's lives. No, actually, 10 years from now, their metabolisms have been forever ruined and they burn fewer calories a day than they did ever before starting the show. And they still have their student loan debt and they've gained the weight back, obviously. It's yeah. so it's just like we're just like patting ourselves on the back. We parachute in. We think we've done something nice, and then we leave before we ever have to see the Skedaddle. impact. Yeah, we're just like, haha! Like we built this house by, and then like 
at night people relay the bricks and we don't know and we don't know but we pat ourselves on the back anyway exactly oh the fragile fragile ego uh and i i never went on one of these trips but i will throw myself under the bus with you um because (laughs) it's lonely down here yeah i'm just like (laughs) right in um join me there was i don't know if which like organization or whatever you traveled with but there was one called rustic pathways i don't know if you heard of that one (sighs) that is that the one like i did not do that all of mine were with my school and with my teachers okay but that was like such a craze at my school one of my friends went on one to thailand i had to do with sex work it was like Damn. hot hot topic the yeah. brochures were passed the brochures. out oh my god those were gorgeous oh, literally so they was they got passed out a lot at my school but i wanted to go so fucking bad i was like this looks so cool like it looks sick this looks those so glossy sick. beautiful image like the landscape oh my god i was like dying to go i want to pet an elephant in thailand dad like hello <laughs> Fork over the money. <laughs> yeah. And these trips are like upwards of $7,000. Like they're crazy. For, for, for like, like two or three weeks. For Yeah. For like a week, two weeks. Not including airfare. Not including airfare. No. no. Ridiculous. And it's very clear from the images that it's like mostly a vacation. And that you do like one slightly yeah, charitable like thing. Day one, surf in Fiji. Day two, yeah. <laughs> swim in Fiji. Day three, like meet the locals. It's like, what is yeah. this? From 10 a.m. to 1030, <laughs> hand an apple to one local and then meet go back one to one Bahamian <laughs> and then go home. <laughs> exactly. But I remember I was like, these look so sick. I really want to go on this. And I, I could tell that I wanted it, it because it was flashy. Yep. And it looked fucking fun. Mm-hmm. And it was like an opportunity to take a trip under the guise of I'm doing something nice, but really was for my own enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Of course, my dad was like, fuck all the way off. Like, we're not going to pay $7,000 for you to go for a week somewhere random. <laughs> and I remember my dad telling me, if you want to do something nice, like if you want to do community service, because I said, kept saying like, it's community service. It's so good for college, community service, community service. He's like, mm-hmm. the elephants in Thailand are not your community, baby. Like... <laughs> my dad he was like if you want to help your community look around your actual neighborhood are there things here that need help is there you know like a residence home for the elderly that needs people to like hang out with them or is there a school here that you wanted to go teach english somewhere teach english at the public school in your neighborhood and I was like, I don't want to do that. That's, boor- That's lame. Like, I live here. That's not fun. Right. I can't show off about that. No one's going to think I'm that's not cool. I'm make my profile picture a picture of me playing bridge exactly. with Ruth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, no. And so it really, like, put up a mirror to what my real intentions were. Like, if I really wanted to mm-hmm. make a difference to someone or, or feel like I'm giving back, then I would have been content with doing that somewhere where... It actually makes sense because it's investing in your community. And that's what community service is about. A king among men. <laughs> he he was like, okay, girl, you need to like get your priorities straight. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm very glad now that I didn't go on any of those trips. But um, yeah, so it's really like how far could all that money go that's being spent on you having a pseudo vacation, you know, glorified mm-hmm. trip. If you just donated it or I mean, there's also a lot of issues with just donating money and you don't know where it's going. Mm-hmm. It could also perpetuate a problem like the, the financial incentive can stay 
still exist if you're just handing money to people. But if you did good research and donated money to things that were like sustainable practices rather than increasing a market for volunteers, creating incentives to keep problems alive in communities that you're not a part of and are never going to be a part of and never have to live with the consequences of whatever you're doing. Right. Just so you can like maybe increase your chances of getting into college a little or like a company doing it like for show, like a company being like, we do this charitable thing. And it's like, really? Do you? Yeah. (laughs) And this is what we talk about a lot is like the compounding of privilege. Like because you have the money to go on a rustic pathways trip means you get to put that on your resume, means you have a better chance of getting into an elite institution that you are already more likely to fucking to get into simply from having the money for tutors and Mm -hmm. being able to take the SAT as many times as you want because you're not limited to the two vouchers or Mm -hmm. what like Mm -hmm. you already had a higher chance of getting into this elite institution now that you dropped 10k on your trip to Fiji you have a slightly better chance like yeah and the standards that we have for other people versus ourselves I sure as hell wouldn't live in a house that I built I can't build a house. Fuck the fuck Are you kidding no. me? It's going to fall on me. So maybe that's a question to ask yourself before you go on one of these trips. Like, would you trust your skills to create a home that will actually last you, that you would be willing to like put a mortgage on? Like, this is my home. I'm going to build it. Mm. Would you do that? Would you trust yourself to do that? If the answer is no, if you don't have those skills... Why the fuck are you going to go build somebody else a home yeah. that's going to fall would on you, top of them? That's so <laughs> would rude. Would you drink water from a pipe that you built? No? Then maybe then, don't build. And Then why do you think it's to... good enough for other people? <laughs> and yet, These are people that you're supposedly like, I want to help you. Bitch, you don't know how to build shit. Like, what? No, you don't know. And this is the thing. I'm sure many of us could be capable with the appropriate training. I'm not saying yeah. I don't think. There are a lot of very talented people that I see on TikTok who are doing crazy shit and building shit from the ground up. And that's great. You probably did some sort of YouTube tutorial before you broke out the saw. And it probably took you longer than a week. So if you're building a house in a week. (laughs) With no, even if you haven't even. If you're 15. If you're 15 (laughs) and you're building a house in a week. Oh my God. No. No. Just fuck no. No. Yeah. Like I feel like if. You haven't even watched a YouTube tutorial. There's no way you should be. If you can't put together your fucking IKEA furniture, get out! Like, get out! Get out! Get out! Really? (laughs) Which let me just say, I fucking hate putting together furniture. Oh, me too. I refuse. No, I refuse. Andrew mm, makes me disassemble. No, no, he doesn't make me. He makes us, which means he does it, and I watch disassemble and reassemble everything when we move. And it's just the most draining thing. I can't even. That's insanity. Right. And anyway, if, if you wouldn't use a dresser you put together, please don't build people's pipes. Yeah. Just if you're, don't. No. If you're struggling with the instructions that are like step one, step 1.5, like, <laughs> it's, I then I don't know. <laughs> you can Ellie, I swear to God. And install I'm plumbing. Gonna make, <laughs> I'm going to make my sounds, myself sound like such an idiot right now. But this chair I'm sitting in yeah. is a new chair that I got myself. And... It has, like, three parts total, okay? A total of, like, 12 screws. Mm -hmm. And I three times put it together incorrectly. Once I had the chair not in it. Like, okay, so there's the seat, there's the back, and you have to screw the pieces together onto the base. And I just screwed, like, the back to the base. And I was like, oh, forgot the chair. (laughs) Like, forgot the seat. Then I put the seat in backwards. Then I put it in upside down. It took me, like, four tries to do it. 
I'm mm-hmm. not qualified to have 10 years ago been going on these trips. No. And honestly, no. like, we don't need to be good at everything. You know, look inward. What are your what are your strengths? Like, I didn't build any of the furniture in my apartment. Mm-hmm. My little sister <laughs> and my now husband built everything. And I'm realistic with myself. I bring other things to the table. I am the exterminator in this home. And I can cook. And my husband can't cook for shit. So, you know, we all have different Your strengths. husband <laughs> texts you from his watch asking you to come home and kill the spider for him. Yeah, and you know he, what? It's he a give hid, and take. He hid in the bathroom until I came home <laughs> to kill the bugs. All right. So, don't come oh for me. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> this is my favorite story of Santi ever. It's like, come home now. Emergency. <laughs> You're like, why am I getting these weird, stilted, extremely formal texts from yeah. Santi? Oh, he's on his watch. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he left his phone. He's in the his fetal computer. position in the bathroom. I have to go. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I think this really does highlight the beautiful perpetuation of the white savior complex. Mm-hmm. And what, what is the white savior complex, Audra? How would you define it? I would define it as... People whose egos feed on needing to help people without any regard for those people themselves. It's like Mm -hmm. the only thing you're interested in is like applying what you've decided are your best practices and your desires and your needs and like lifting them and copying and pasting them onto everybody else. Even when they're in different regions with different cultures, with different language, with different climates, you've decided how you do shit and how you access knowledge and how you pass that on to the next generation and how you live is the only way and the best way. And Mm -hmm. you need to teach people that otherwise you're doing them a disservice. It's all output. There's no input. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How would you define it? (laughs) Well, I was looking at different definitions of like, what, what really encapsulates all of the uh, nuance? There's a professor, Julio Camarota, a professor of education at the University of Arizona. Mm-hmm. And his definition is the phenomenon in which a white person guides people of color from the margins to the mainstream with his or her, her own initiative and benevolence, which tends to render the people of color incapable of helping themselves and disposes them of historical agency. Mm. Which I thought that last part of the historical agency was very interesting. Yeah, and that idea of, like, let me take you from the margins to the mainstream, assuming that white culture is and should be the mainstream, and let me bring you on board. Mm-hmm. This is where you really want to be. Like, right? it's just, as you said, like, helping in a way that's self-serving and centering yourself. You're, like, applying your values to other people, and rather than centering, centering the community that you're trying to help and identifying what their values are, and the idea of, like, helping even that word is very problematic to me like it implies a framework of i have all the resources and i'm so benevolent and great that i'm gonna gift them to you i want to ask them Mm -hmm. if they're things you want or need but i have all this stuff let me hand it to you that's how i help you rather than like no you don't need me if there's a need that needs to be met in any community Let the people who are directly affected identify that need, identify the solutions. And if they are missing something that somebody else can provide, then there can be an an exchange or a transaction of like, that's what building community is like, oh, you know how Mm -hmm. to do that. I know how to do this. Let's do it together and build something. Not we don't need what you're talking about. We don't need an orphanage. We don't have orphans. (laughs) (laughs) We need us. We need a school. (laughs) Yeah, right. And that's that's what I was going to say, too, is like if you're sort of like your end recipient 
is completely interchangeable, mm-hmm. you're you're probably doing something wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's so many like mission trips where Christian myth- missions just want to convert people. They're just like, mm-hmm. we need to bring you the word of God and we mm-hmm. need to love on you and make you see the light and introduce you to Jesus Christ, our savior. And like you just showing up and demanding that your religion is somehow more important or more correct, which is absolutely ludicrous is, is not based on who you're talking to and is only based on you. And as you said, is centering yourself, is centering Mm -hmm. your values. Mm -hmm. It's not Mm -hmm. centering the people you're talking to. If you, Mm -hmm. if you're like, I could travel to this continent or that continent and it doesn't really matter. My only goal is just like, converting people Mm -hmm. then that's kind of how it feels with these like even if it's not a mission trip in name it feels that way if you're just showing up and deciding what these people need and you yeah i mean like with rustic pathways you just flip through a brochure and choose where to go and Mm -hmm. then you're quote unquote doing service it's like Mm -hmm. if you're yeah if your end recipient is interchangeable something's amiss yeah like your subjective priorities values experiences resources are not the end all be all like not everybody wants to be you or live like you <laughs> like sorry to break it to you and like the same way that we talk about feminism of like the goal is not for women to just be more like men like if only right, they would be right. more like men like the goal of eradicating racism or classism or any form of institutionalized and systemic oppression is not for the oppressed group to be more like the oppressive group like that's right. not the goal like that's just perpetuating like neo-colonialism shit like the notion of less wealthy countries needing to depend on the quote, like help of the superior Mm -hmm. Westerners to improve their situation, like removing any agency or contributing to also like a sense of shame. Mm -hmm. And it also perpetuates like poverty porn, like all these images Mm -hmm. of emaciated children and people experiencing poverty and the ramifications of poverty and using these images to like, get people to donate money or or pay to volunteer in ways that are not even helpful mm-hmm. or when people say shit like they're poor but they're so happy like what like it's so just dehumanizing and patronizing and fetishizing and and just treating people like a commodity yeah 100 percent. wow i that really brings me back because you hear that shit all the time it's just like their smiles just brighten up my day even though they don't have a lot they have their positive attitude oh my like get (laughs) out of here (laughs) you take that like western individualized rhetoric back where it came from like just no (laughs) yeah i don't know if you've been reading up on mother Teresa and her legacy much if at all no not lately today not this morning yeah. haven't gone um, around to my daily mother <laughs> Teresa. <laughs> daily mother Teresa legacy investigation yeah. um maybe in the bath later check some yeah stuff you're out. right it's a good beach read vibes <laughs> so here we are exhuming more questionable things of my past i went to catholic school okay i went to catholic school she said and <laughs> And we obviously exalted Mother Teresa. And that was, like, synonymous with good. Like, it, you're like, wow, like, you're just, like, Mother Teresa. That That's, yeah. like, a common refrain. Yeah. Well, speaking of fetishizing poverty, she was so much more interested in there being poverty for her to capitalize on than on actually resolving it. And there was a lot of problematic stuff going on with, like, 
completely unsafe treatment of the sick people that were supposedly residing in these institutions she was running and the, you know, sharing of needles and like lack of cleanliness. But there was also like forced conversion, like where she wouldn't treat you unless you converted from your own religion to Christianity. And she, I mean, she looked, she fully looked at them as a commodity, but that that's, it's, it's funny how not well known that is. And I think it's part of the fact that this is still very much our culture, mm-hmm. like is the commodification of poverty and the mm-hmm. fetishizing of the poor. Mm-hmm. Like she, she very much valued suffering over anything else and was just like, I don't know, fetishizing of these people. How am I going to get into college if there are no poor people? Yeah, well, that's like such we, a good question. We we I have need a to read. We have a stake <laughs> in people staying where they're at and pretending yeah. to help because it gives us some sort of like cultural currency to some degree of like you're a good person. You've been labeled a good person. Now, woof! Finally, yeah. like I don't have to worry about that anymore. <laughs> and like Mother Teresa is not going to keep getting donations if all the sick people are healthy. Like. There's, as you're saying, kind of a reason to perpetuate the cycle rather than solve the root cause. Yep. Yep. And I was I was thinking about having empathy for our younger selves, Mm. especially when you mentioned at the beginning of the episode, like, oh, yeah, I did that shit. Uh," You know, it's like (laughs) I went to Catholic school um, on these trips. (laughs) Yeah. Like empathy for our younger selves, not just high school or middle school younger selves, but like our yesterday younger self. Like Mm -hmm. there's going to be things that I will learn in the future that will make me embarrassed about Mm -hmm. things that I've said today. Probably you might issue 10 corrections on this episode in a few years from now. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not sure. And if there was someone in high school listening or something, that's like, geez, you're being so harsh, you know? And so I was just thinking of like some stuff that you can think about maybe before you embark on any sort of mission or Hmm. trip or volunteer experience, like a, so you want to volunteer. So you think (laughs) you can dance. So you think you're smarter than a fifth grader or whatever. Like (laughs) things to ask yourself, you know, I love Um, this. So I think just starting with like, why, why do I want to do this? Like why, what am I passionate about? What cause there's a lot of shit that's wrong in the world. What do I care about? Why do I care about it? There's a lot of burnout being an advocate or working in any sort of space. It's not it's not sexy to like really put a lot of time and effort into solving really complex problems. So you need to give a shit past just a week of my time or an Instagram post or whatever somebody in my immediate circle might think about me for 2.5 seconds, mm-hmm. you know, and whatever that cause is or multiple causes. Is that an issue that's alive in your actual immediate community? Like, do you need a trip? Mm-hmm. Or can you work on something that you could be doing long term in the place that you live, not just for a week for a spring break or something like there are people hungry everywhere. If you care about hunger, there's poverty everywhere. There are mm-hmm. people in jail everywhere. Mm-hmm. You don't need to go to Rwanda there. I guarantee you there are people in your city or state or town that are suffering in some way mm-hmm. or there are underfunded school programs everywhere Mm -hmm. like maybe you're maybe the public school in your neighborhood doesn't have a great arts program and you're a musician and you can donate like some free hours to show some kids how to play piano or something Mm -hmm. like or the recorder that is (laughs) or the recorder you know (laughs) i love a recorder that's meaningful i guarantee you that that's gonna make much more long-lasting change if you're doing it as a commitment for a Mm -hmm. kid 
then spending a week with them probably not even a whole week like a couple days of that week letting them play with your iphone you know and i think (laughs) it speaks to what you were saying earlier too which is like what are your strengths if you are a musician like yeah what can you do with that yeah we were kind of talking briefly about developmental stages of children and like there's a lot of reason that especially younger kids, and this is really coming up a lot with the pandemic now, benefit from that in-person learning and those social interactions and that one-on-one time and like the stimulation that is provided by not a computer screen, but like different sounds and visuals. Like if you are an artist, you yeah. can really, really do a lean lot. In, lean into lean that. In. And you know what? Another question maybe for this So You Want a Volunteer checklist is like, does the thing I'm looking to do to benefit the community require a skill set I don't already have? And if so, am I committed to gaining that skill set before I go? Because if not, then maybe pivot or maybe another question is like, have I listened to the needs of the people I aim to help? Is my intervention necessary? Like, right. You only want to donate. Is this something someone asked for? Yeah. You only want to donate your strengths, not your weaknesses. So like, are you bringing something to the table that is missing and needed and who is telling you that they need it? is the work sustainable? Like what are the unintended negative consequences of whatever the work is? Like think about that that. question. Like what is the impact? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, What is the impact? If you have a skill set, are you transferring that skill set or are you like doing something for someone? Mm. If you know a lot about taxes, for example, and there are elderly people in your neighborhood that can't figure out how to do their taxes online because it's complicated technology that they're not familiar with. Are you going and doing their taxes for them or are you showing them a service that might streamline it for them and teaching them how to use their computer to do it Mm. so that they don't need you every year that they can just figure it out now? Like, are you transferring self-advocacy skills? Yeah, it's like that professor said in his definition of the white savior complex. It's like keeping people dependent and stripping them of agency. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, just always remembering, like always trying to find like what voices are being prioritized and consulted to determine the aid needed from the outside. Like if you need to outsource in order to solve a problem, make sure that you are really meeting a need that somebody who's being affected by whatever the problem is actually identified. Do research and see if like long-term have other people tried that same initiative and it didn't work. Are those houses that you built falling down? Like Mm -hmm. think about, is there any research I can do that will show like, oh, a similar organization did this elsewhere. It really worked out. Mm-hmm. It, it takes a lot of work to to pick where you want to donate your time or money or energy. And it should be like you should take it seriously and, and make sure that whatever organization you're partnering with is also partnering with local people. Mm-hmm. For example, instead of going somewhere and teaching English to kids first, maybe see if like English is something that's valuable for them to learn. Or maybe instead of teaching, if 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 there is a need like we want to learn English in this community. We need English teachers. Maybe instead of you going for a year somewhere, even something like that, that's like a bigger commitment and teaching English to a group of kids. Okay, you've taught like one class of kids. Now a new class of kids comes in. Now we need a new volunteer Mm -hmm. or a new Fulbright or whatever. What if we taught a local teacher English and then they could teach all the kids that come Mm -hmm. for years, you know, Mm -hmm. like thinking long term. I think is important, like creating sustainability within an, in a, an environment in a community that can like keep generating the same results rather than it being dependent on this one person. Like what if yeah. they leave now? Yeah, nobody I knows think, English. Right. I feel like the priorities that your questions continue to hit on and circle around is just like, is this sustainable in the long term? Is this solving a need that these people have asked for? And 
I forget the last one. And can I actually be the one to solve that need? Do I have the skills to do that? Right. Correct. (laughs) So I wanted to end with something funny. Uh, Oh, please. There's an Instagram account that I was shown years ago Mm -hmm. called Barbie Savior. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, But no. (laughs) It's so funny. I don't know if it's still active because I think when I looked, the most recent post was from like 2019 or something. But it's basically like pictures of Barbie in different environments like with really funny captions like the bio is um jesus adventures africa two worlds <laughs> two oh worlds God. one love babies beauty not qualified called 20 years young it's not about me but it kind of is <laughs> oh my god so i'm i'm sending you a link to one post um and if you i was hoping read- you would read the the caption for us <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> so first let me describe the picture so mm-hmm. it's just like blue skies big bus that clearly had cartloads of white people on it minutes ago <laughs> um and then there is like the white barbie with her hair tied up wearing one of those loud prints that of course the white volunteers buy right before the trip to really try and <laughs> set the scene yeah Um, and then she's holding like a darker skinned dark hair small baby doll yeah all right oh (laughs) i'm sorry i read ahead i read ahead (laughs) dear child you inspire me you inspire me to be the best person to myself and i guess everyone around me even my frenemies but mostly myself The best thing I could dream of is to become successful, to have a big family in a big house in beautiful white suburbia. When I asked you what your biggest dream was, you said to dance. Such a hysterically quaint dream that surely no privileged child has ever had. (laughs) One of the happiest moments in your life was definitely when you met me and my friends, but mostly me. And you asked me when I was coming back. I'm sorry to tell you that there is a very small chance we are ever going to meet again. I have a lot of other children to take selfies with. It keeps me busy. Something you may not know about saviors is that we can see the future. In two years, you are going to meet a grown-up man that you have never met before. You two are going to have a child, and if you are lucky, he will stay with you. But he will probably leave you alone with your child in your small home made of mud and trees. You'll probably sell, sell your body to someone else to earn money for your child, and then a white woman will come to your child and give her the best day of her life, just like I have given to you. Ah, the circle of life. And scene. Oh god. Like, so, so I wanted depressing. to end on that because it's so like it's so sad and so funny. The I, I love the part of your like hysterically quaint dream of I just want to dance is the same thing as the like they're poor but they look so happy. Yeah. Their positive attitude can shine out any darkness. Exactly. Oh my god. So what are your thoughts? What have you learned? How do you how are you feeling? <laughs> I mean my feeling is that I get the impulse for defensiveness and I, like you said, really want to have empathy for people who are along all different parts of this journey of like really trying to figure out yeah. where can I most efficiently serve the most people and do the most harm reduction and like put my skills to use and create a mutually beneficial and sustainable system. Like we're all at different parts. Some of us haven't started asking those questions. Some of us have been asking and don't know where to turn. And it's a long journey and I want to have empathy for everyone. But 
yeah, I think something you continue to teach me and like really surface today is just kind of stay curious, especially about the impact of your actions Hmm. and be wary of glossy brochures with white sand beaches pictured on every other page. Exactly. It looks too good to be true for a reason. (laughs) (laughs) It's $10,000 for a reason. Yeah. Like, good God. (laughs) You could take a trip to Thailand for much cheaper. (laughs) Yeah. Correct. Maybe we should take a, a, a podcast trip somewhere be like uh, investigative sure. journalists and and maybe go undercover on a trip <laughs> i was gonna say what skills do i have like now i need to go i'm gonna go journal about this be like what yeah. can i actually offer the community i'm a good me? time gal <laughs> yeah <laughs> she can edit the shit out of your podcast <laughs> do you imagine you like go to a, one of these sketchy ass orphanages and you're like who wants to be a podcaster <laughs> they're like, like what <laughs> Uh who? <laughs> oh my Jesus Christ. All right. Love you. Love you. Culture Calendar is produced by Elisa Nolasco and Audra Fitzgerald. Show art by Angela Cho and music by Santiago Hervella. Research for each episode is conducted independently and is for entertainment purposes only. Information shared in the show reflects the best we know at this moment in time, and there is always more to learn.